are present, I know I've seen Joanne. If there's any other kids present and you guys want to come on up, that would be great. I have a cool story I want to share with you. Get a drink here because parched. Well, hello and good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I think it was last week, but I can't remember if it was last week or the week before. Which week was it that I told you that the prophet Elijah was teasing the other priests, thinking, telling them their God was going to the toilet? Was that last week? You were going to talk about toilets again this week. <laughs> I don't know why God just wants me talking about toilets. So... But anyway, there's a really cool story in the Bible. It is so, it's not funny, because there's some sad parts to it, too. But it's so funny. But anyway, this is how it works. Have you ever heard of a guy named David? You've heard of David before, right? What is David famous for? Anybody remember he had a sling and a stone? And what did he do? Killed Jolab Goliath the giant. That's number one that David's famous for. What else is David famous for? He wrote the book, most of the Psalms. Well, not most, but a lot of the Psalms. There's 150 Psalms in all half of them David wrote. So yeah, because he was a poet. He was a, he was a person who wrote songs. That's what Psalms are. Psalms that they would sing as their worship songs in the, in the old, ancient, ancient times of Israel. What other thing or things is David famous for? You know? You know, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And what that means is, David loved God so much that he just, he wanted anything, more than anything, to love God and honor God and serve God with his whole heart. Which is what we're told to do. If you want to love God, you have to love him with your whole heart, with your whole being, with your whole mind, your soul, your strength, everything. And that's what David wanted to do with his life. But you know what happened when he was a young guy? A prophet named Samuel came to his town and said, I need to have a special dinner with Jesse, the father, David's father, and all of your family. And so Samuel came to Jesse's house and he said, we're going to have a special meal. We're going to make a sacrifice and we're going to eat this meat and have a great time. But before we do, I need to meet all of your kids. And so Jesse went, whoa, the prophet wants to meet my boys. And so he brought all of his sons in. And as Samuel was looking at the different boys, he kept thinking, God, is this the one? Is this the one? Is this the one? And God kept saying, not that one, not that one, not that one. And finally, there's nobody else left. And Samuel's confused because God had told Samuel to come to Jesse's house to take some oil and pour it on one of, Samuel's, one of Jesse's sons and anoint him to be king. And Samuel was like, God, what's going on? There's no more kids. And God said to Jesse, God said to Samuel, ask Jesse where his, where his last one is. And so Samuel turns to Jesse and says, are these all your sons? He goes, oh, i got one more kid. He's out in the field watching the sheep. Well, we're not having this party until he gets here. And so David comes, and God says, that's the one. Anoint him. So Samuel takes the oil and anoints him. Now this is a private party. Nobody else is there. 
And he anoints him. He says, God has declared that you are going to be the king of all of Israel. Well, his father and his brothers are like, whoa, this is so cool. But Samuel says, don't tell me. Whoa, okay. Why? Why do we tell him, don't tell him? There was already a king. His name was Saul. And Saul was kind of messed up. Saul got real insecure and real upset and real frustrated. And later on in the story, after David killed Goliath, Saul brought David into the court of the king and had David play music because he was a musician and sing songs. And at one point it says in the Bible that Saul got so upset and so agitated because of his sickness and his brain, he took a spear and he threw it and tried to kill David. David was like, what do I do? I don't like it. And twice he tried to kill him. And so David went to Saul's son John and said, Oh, why is that for you? I don't did anything wrong. I'm trying to honor God. I'm trying to love, serve the king. I don't know why. And Dave John says, Oh, my dad's not going to try to kill you. Well, he did a good job if he wasn't trying to kill me. And so it ended up that Saul literally told Jonathan, I'm going to kill David. And so Dave, Jonathan met with David privately. He said, You got to get out of here. My dad's going to kill you. And David's like, I was trying to tell you that. <laughs> well, David literally left. And it ended up, other people joined David. And it ended up, there was like 400 guys hanging out with David. And they were hiding in, in caves and they were hiding in the mountains. And the, the Bible talks all about how Saul was trying to kill David. He was chasing him around. At one point in the story, it literally says they were running around a mountain and Saul's on this side of the mountain. And David's on this side of the mountain. And Saul's on this side of the mountain. Literally, it's so crazy. And you know what happened? Saul goes, oh man, I got a poop. So Saul says, you guys stay here. I'm going to go to that cave and go poop because I want to be watching pooping. So he goes into this cave. Guess who's in the cave? David with his 400 guys. They're all in the back of the cave. And Saul comes in, pulls up his coat, and goes boop. And while he's doing that, the guys go, David, David, God has given your enemy into your hands, go kill him now. And David goes up and he takes his knife and he grabs a hold of the cloak that Saul was wearing and he cuts part of the cloak off. And then he comes back. And the Bible says instantly David felt guilty in his heart because he was a man after God's own heart. He shouldn't have done anything to try and harm God's anointed one, the king. And so David was like, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. I feel so bad. God, please forgive me. And then Saul goes out. He's done pooping. And David follows after him. He goes, King Saul, I'm so sorry. I cut your coat and I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have done it. But this proves that I love you. Proves that I'm not trying to take over for you. If I wanted to, I could have killed you. But I didn't. you got to understand. And King Saul went, Oh, David, I'm so sorry. You're right. I've been mad. And so King Saul leaves. And David doesn't go back to King Saul's courts. He stays in the caves. Because he knows he can't trust King Saul. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that's so cool about this story 
is David said, I'm going to let God be in charge. I'm not going to try and get rid of my enemy. That's God's business. And when I even did this little bit, God said, what are you doing? That's not for you to do. And I felt guilty and I felt sorry. And so I had to ask for forgiveness from God and from the guy that I harmed. And then God ultimately worked it all out where David did become king. And he's known and remembered as the greatest king that Israel has ever known. Besides Jesus. So I want you guys to remember that story about Saul pooping in a cave. Because <laughs> it's all about how you have to do what's right. You have to do what's right. You always have to not try and come against your enemies, but just trust God to take care of you, no matter how much and how hard it is. Let's pray. Jesus, bless these kids. Help them to learn this truth now, so that as they get into their teen years and their young adult years, they can learn to depend on you and trust in you and walk the way you want them to walk. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can you guys go ahead and sit back down with your folks? And I'm going to I moved to Alaska to be cold. I'm sick and tired of this hot. When is winter coming? My wife yells at me and says, No, don't say that. But it's true. Preach, preacher. <sighs> okay. Well... Many, many years ago, when I was a young human being and didn't have all the problems that I have with my lower back, I tried to learn to play golf. Have it, does anybody play golf? Anybody at all in the room? One does this. Everyone else is like, no. Um, I never owned golf clubs. I borrowed golf clubs or I rented golf clubs, but I went. And if you know anything about golf, the whole point of it is to hit a little ball with a stick into a hole in the least number of hits. So most of the time, there are either nine holes that you're shooting or 18 holes that you're shooting. And the goal most of the time is three or four hits per hole. So a good, a good score would be in the 70s. I had seven hits already on the first tee box and I had gotten it not off the tee box yet. Because they kept saying, keep your eye on the ball. I'm like, Phew. oh, the ball's still there. <laughs> Golf was not my game. That was, that was, I realized I just couldn't do it. But I had a friend who was really good at golf. And um, he used to actually compete. And he wanted people to, um, he, he would challenge people. Say, you, you can't beat me. You can't beat me. And this one guy came up and said, well, I can beat you. But you got to give me two gotchas. He's like, what? Just, if you give me two gotchas, I'll play it. I'll even bet on the game. He's like, okay. Well, they were on the second tee box. They hear he shot the first few hits, got it into the hole. They were in the second tee box. And my friend was just about to tee off. I mean, you know, you're standing like this. You put the golf club here. And you swing back like this. And then you swing. Well, as he swings back to take his swing... 
the guy who he's playing against comes running across and goes, gotcha, and grabs him and takes him into the ground and dives. And the guy said, whoa, what was that? He said, gotcha. What? And then they continued the game. And my, my friend didn't win. He had the worst game of his life. And at the end, his friend, his friend said, why did you play so bad? He said, do you know how hard it is to play golf waiting for that second gotcha? <sighs> All right, we'll, we'll get back to that. I want to tell you another little story. This is out of my own true life. I mean, that was, that was a story. It's a pastor's story. You know, I don't have a friend that played golf. I do have friends that play golf, but nobody ever took a dive at them while they were trying to swing. Anyway, but this truly happened to me probably back uh, 2007, 2008, maybe. So those of you who have been around for any length of time, we used to have a lighted sign out at the front of our property. It was yellow, had interchangeable letters, and it fell to somebody in the church to have to change out those sayings every week or two or three. And, uh, oh, we came up with all these different creative ways to, we only had a certain amount of letters, so you have to find sayings that fit with the number of letters you have, and only so many words per line, and it was really hard. It took hours to try and come up with the different amount, different sayings that we're going to use over the course of the number of weeks. And somebody in this community thought it funny to start changing the sign. There was a, a, a group of people from the rescue mission. Rodney Gaskins was the uh, manager, the executive director of the rescue mission at that time. And they were driving down the highway to the Three Bears camp because they were managing the Three Bears camp back then. And Rodney and his guys drove by our property and slammed on the brakes, got to the Two Rivers Lodge, turned around, came back and pounded on my door. Bob, you've got to get up there and change your sign now. <laughs> Why? I can't say, just go change the sign now. And I can't tell you what it said because I can't say that in church. The kindest or the, 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 the most inane thing that ever said was they had rearranged the letters to say, we eat porpoise fetuses. There was a constant all the time, somebody sneaking up and changing the letters. Then it got to the point where they were taking the letters and breaking them into pieces and dropping them on the ground. Then it got to the point where somebody took a shotgun and shot through the plastic that was holding that letter. And then finally, one last time, why well, tried again and somebody again broke up every single letter and it was like, I don't know, maybe 11 o'clock at night and I went out there for some reason and I got out there and I saw that damage and I was so angry and I literally stood out there on that Burma grass and I raised my fist to heaven and I began calling down curses on that human being, whoever it was, Damn them, God. Damn them for what they're doing. And the Holy Spirit whispered to me. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them. Do not curse. <sighs> okay, God. <laughs> so that has been a verse for me. For many, 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 many years. Whenever I feel frustrated or upset, feel like somebody's taking advantage of me, 
I have to recognize that my natural human response is to want to, hmm. But that's not what Christians do. Christians are supposed to be different from other human beings. In the same way that David was cut to the heart when he harmed the Lord's anointed. He had every right, according to human standards, to kill Saul, let alone cut off a corner of his outfit. But it wasn't right in God's economy. And so I was praying about what should I preach this week. And this is today's collect. We did one last week. I want, want us to just read through this again. You don't have to say it out loud if you don't want to. But this is a prayer that Christians around the world, as corporate worship is going on, this is a prayer that Christians around the world pray together on this day. Let your continual mercy, O Lord, cleanse and defend your church. And because it cannot continue in safety without your help, protect and govern it always by your goodness through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. This was not the thing that was the impetus for me writing this sermon. Actually, God wrote this sermon. There are times when God goes and it just kind of downloads. That's what happened today for this sermon. But then I read this and I was like, hmm, <laughs> it's a perfect prayer to go along with what I'm going to say. But look at that. God, in your mercy, in your continual mercy, cleanse and defend us, your church. Because we cannot continue in safety without you. We need you to protect us. We need you to govern us by your goodness. I want to turn to Romans chapter 12, which is where that verse is found that that I shared with you just a second ago. The bless and do not curse. We're going to read verses nine through twenty one. We're not going to read. We're not going to exegete all of those verses. We are going to exegete just verse 14, but I want to read all of it. So Romans chapter 12, verses nine through twenty one. And in my Bible, which is this is an ESV English Standard Version. Um, they have actually um, put titles over some of the pericopes, over some of the sections. This particular section is called Marks of the True Christian. And that's what I've actually titled my sermon today. What is the mark of a true Christian? So verse 9 says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. 
If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will keep burning coals on his head. And I used to think, ha ha, heap burning coals on your head. <laughs> That's not what that means. Back when this was written, because this is actually, well, let's finish it and then I'll give you, I'll give you that little bit. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If you go back to Proverbs, you don't have to turn there, but if you go back to Proverbs chapter 25, you will find this, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something. By so doing, you'll heap burning coals in your head. So this is something from the ancient times. And what this actually is, back then they didn't have Zippo lighters. They didn't even have matchsticks. If they wanted fire, they either had to wait for lightning to strike or they had to make it themselves through friction or flint. Okay? So it was a process to have fire. But you needed fire to cook your food. So as this nomadic group of people would travel around, they literally would carry a pan of hot coals with them on their head from one location to the next. So if someone was passing by you, a nomadic person, and they're carrying their pan of coals, and their coals have gone cold, they have no way of cooking they know no way of providing warmth for their, themselves or their families at night. No way of having light at night to, to ward off any animals that might come and harm them. And so if you share with them some of your hot coals, you are blessing them. You are providing for their needs. You are doing good unto them. So what Paul is saying, as he's quoting the person who wrote Proverbs, which was most likely Solomon, he is saying, when your enemy comes up to you and you find out that your enemy is hungry or thirsty, do good to them. Because in so doing, you are piling burning coals on their head, which is a commandment, basically. Loving your neighbor as yourself. And if you go back to Proverbs 25, at the end of that little passage, it says, and the Lord will bless you. See, it's not here in, in, in Psalm, I mean, in Romans, it's not here where, where Paul was quoting, because that wasn't the purpose of what he was trying to do. He wasn't trying to focus on you getting blessed to do it. He was saying, do it, because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, that's showing kindness, and I can do kindness. It's fruit of the Spirit. And, and, and I can, when somebody's hungry, it, it's just a natural thing for me to want them to be able to eat. And it's a natural thing if they're thirsty. Oh my goodness. <sighs> Yesterday when I was in the hospital with my dear friend, she's laying there in the bed and I picked up the cup with the little straw that had the sponge on the end and I put it in her mouth and <clears throat> because she's very thirsty right now, but she doesn't have the wherewithal to be able to ask, nor does she have the ability to grab and get for herself. But this is the part of the process. So we have to be attentive to those needs as best we can. And so that was this right here. If someone is thirsty, give them something to drink. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a gripping thing to be thirsty and not be able to get food. I have felt badly when we, our dogs are kenneled at night. I have felt badly when we open up the kennel door and they run to the bowl. I'm like, oh my word, I'm so sorry. You know, because we don't. We don't not let them have food or water, but, but the reality is that they, they got thirsty, but they couldn't get out of their kennel. And they were really thirsty, but they had no way of telling us that. And so finally, when they got released, that's the first thing. So my whole point of this is this. If you have the ability to do good to somebody and they have a need, you should do it no matter what, regardless of relationship. 
regardless of how they've treated you. And that's what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 12, verse 14. And I want to break that down for us a little bit. Romans 12, 14 says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Now, I have been told countless times, oh, you people in the United States of America think you're being persecuted because they don't like you because you wear green or whatever. Because you are conservative and they are not. Or because you have this and they are not. Or because you don't speak in tongues and they are Yes, there are levels of persecution. Yes, I can practice my relationship with God without fear of having my head cut off. Yes, I can have a relationship with God and be public about it without fear that I'm going to be thrown into jail. So yes, I'm very blessed, but that doesn't mean that I don't suffer persecution ever. And that's one of the things that I I, I think as I did the study of this, I was freed finally. Because honestly, it was like, I've always felt guilty thinking, oh God, I'm, I'm oppressed because I'm not really oppressed because nobody's cutting off my head and nobody's taking away my livelihood and nobody's taking away my house. But the reality is I still feel like something bad is happening to me. And if you look at the word persecute in the Greek, it's dioko, dioko. And it means to pursue either literally or figuratively. It means to follow after. It means to make someone run or flee. It means to put to flight. It means to drive away. It means in any way, whatever, to harass, trouble, molest, to be, to mistreat. To cause someone to suffer persecution on account of something. And see that last statement? To cause, pers- to, to cause someone to suffer persecution on account of something? That's the very narrow definition of they're not give, cutting off your head because you're a Christian. That's part of the definition of persecution. But the whole thing of persecution is to just harass somebody, to make them get out of you, to, or to, to try and chase them away from you, to cause them to fly away, to drive them away in whatever way you can to harass them or to cause trouble or to molest them in, in any way, to cause them mistreatment. All of that is persecution. All of that. So for someone to say, oh, well, you're not really being persecuted. You don't fully understand what persecution means. Well, sorry, I am being persecuted. No, nobody's taking away my house. No, nobody's trying to kill me. But I'm being harassed. I'm being made to want to get out of here and run away. (gasps) They're my enemy. So I'm going to curse him. So let's go to the word curse. It's, this is a fun word. Ka-ta-ra-o-mai. 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 It means to curse. (laughs) Isn't that silly? You use the same word to define it. It means to doom. It means to imprecate. It means to execrate. I love it when they use words in a definition that I don't know and I have to look those words up. So imprecate. I-M-P-R-E-C-A-T-E. Imprecate. That means to invoke evil upon someone or something. So I curse you means I ask that the devil have a hold of you. 
I ask that your house burn down. I ask that you get cancer. That's not a Christian way of living. But that's what it means when you curse somebody. Another form of cursing is execrate. To feel or to express great loathing for someone. I hate you. I wish you were dead so I didn't have to breathe your stench ever again. That's a real good Christian attitude. That's showing the love of Christ. So you see why Paul said the mark of a real Christian is when someone is harming you, you show them love, you meet their needs, you do what's right, regardless of how poorly they're treating you, because indeed they are persecuting you. But you don't curse them. You don't wish evil on them. You don't loathe them and wish that they would die. You're supposed to bless them. But what does blessing mean? And that's what the last part that I wanted to look at. Excuse me. This is so... Ironic for me because today is the day that I have been asked to officiate at the memorial service, the celebration of life for Randy Scharfenberg. And the word bless in the Greek is eulogeo. Eulogeo. It's the Greek word where we get the word eulogy or eulogize. In other words, to stand at someone's memorial service, funeral, or celebration of life and speak well of them. So eulogeo, the word that we understand as bless, means to speak well of. So when someone is persecuting you and causing you harm and harassing you and trying to get you to run away from them, you're supposed to look at them And speak well of them. Now, for those of you who have been on social media and have access to the Two Rivers Pleasant Valley Community Group, not so much. Not so much speaking well of this persecution and persecutors that we've been dealing with. The word eulogeo means to praise. That's interesting. You're causing me all this harm and I'm supposed to say something good about you? Okay. Eulogeo means to ask God to pour out blessings on. (sighs) This is going against everything that I want to do. This is total opposite of what I'm feeling. Eulogeo is to ask God to cause that person to not only be blessed, but to prosper. (sighs) Me do not like these words at all. Eulogeo means to ask, no, eulogeo means to make someone happy. 
Now, I put it back on you like I said last week. You wake up tomorrow morning at 2.30 or 3 in the morning to find that somebody has set fire to your home. And you're standing out on the curb watching everything burn to total ash. All you have on you are your pajamas. Make sure you go to bed with clothes on. In this reality, make sure you're wearing clothes when you go to bed. But the words out of your mouth while you stand there, O Christian, God, I ask that you bless this person that did this. I ask that you help me to find something good to say about them as I speak in the community. I ask that you would pour out blessings and prosperity and happiness in their heart. That's what it means to truly be a Christian. King David, I already shared with you the story. King David went against everything that the normal, natural response would have been. God has brought your enemy into your power. Kill him. You know you're the anointed one of God. You know this is God's will. Kill him. Have done with it. No longer do you have to deal with all this garbage. Step into your authority. Step into who you know you're called to be. Mm, no, that's not right here. Here's saying that, yeah, I know I'm called and I know I'm supposed to be the king, but I can't lift my hand against the king right now. He is indeed the God, the God's anointed, whether he's acting right or not, whether, whether he's doing good things or not, and whether he's persecuting me or not. It is not my place. It's not my place. I, I even listened to you guys a little bit and it just crushed my heart. This is not right. It's God's business. I don't understand why God's allowing him to chase us like this. I don't understand why we're persecuted like this. We haven't done anything to earn it. But this isn't right. We can't work like this. God is not going to bless us. Go back to Proverbs 25. I have to be kind. I have to show love. I have to heap burning coals on his head. If I want blessing... Now see, that's an illustration out of the New Te- Old Testament. Let me share with you an illustration out of the New Testament. If you'll turn with me, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, we're going to read verses 1 through 10, and then we'll focus on a few of the verses. Paul is talking about his relationship with the Corinthians and the fact that he has authority And blah, blah, blah. And then he goes on. He says in verse 12, verse 1, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on divisions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. But God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told which man may not utter. 
On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on behalf of myself, I will not boast, except for my weaknesses. Now, stop. Scholars will tell you, he's talking about himself. This man who 14 years ago got caught up into paradise, into the third heaven, and, and saw glorious and amazing things and has been given command not to speak about them. This is Paul he's talking about. But he's not going to brag on that. He said, though I, though if I should boast, verse 8, 6, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, because apparently his revelations as he spent time with God were getting greater and greater and greater and greater to the point where he, literally he got called up into the paradise of God and heard and saw things he should never have been able to utter about. But he experienced them for himself, whether he was in the body or out of the body, he can't tell you, but for sure it happened. Then he said, to keep me from getting conceited because of this, God put a thorn or God gave a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Remember, harassment is a form of persecution. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, with calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, if you look at verse 8 and 9, Paul said three times, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for my power is made perfect in weakness. If God allows something in Paul's life because God has a purpose for bringing about God's power in Paul's life, for advancing the kingdom of God in Paul's life, and when Paul has said to God, please, can you please take this away three times? And finally God says, enough. Enough. I've heard your prayer. The answer is no. There's a reason for this. You don't need to understand why. Just know my grace is sufficient for you. That's all you need to know. If you need anything further, know that my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. And then in verse 10, Paul said, for the sake of Christ, then I find contentment. When all of these bad things happen to me. Because when these bad things happen to me. I'm strong. It's a change of his perception. It's a change of his thinking. It's, it's a, a submission to the sovereignty of the almighty. It is not wrong to say why. Because Paul Question three times, why? God, please, can't you? Why? 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 
But enough, God said. We're done. You got my answer. Let's move on from this. I was this week. Again, God is doing really cool stuff. I was this week in conversation with somebody who called me on the phone. They would never have said anything to me face to face, but they talked with me at length on the phone. Pastor, I don't understand why. I don't understand why. I don't understand why this is happening. And God gave me some really cool words. I have no idea what I said. I couldn't tell you what I said. It was the Holy Spirit speaking through me at the time. I just know that when I was done with that phone conversation, I was like, whoa. And I turned to Renee and said, did you hear that? And she's like, yeah, that was good stuff. But it wasn't me. It was the Holy Spirit speaking through me. I've never had that conversation with that person before, and I may not ever have it again. But for that moment, God gave me the opportunity to speak incredible truth, to pour out light, to be salt. Even in the midst of me feeling, because I could have gone, curse that arsonist. Let's both join together in hating him. But that's not what we're called to do. Now, I didn't go so far with this person as to start blessing that arsonist because they would not have gone there with me. Who knows? Maybe someday. One last thing and then I'm done. You you know this story, I'm pretty sure. I know I've told it to you a couple, three times over the years, but but I, I need you to hear it one more time fresh in this context. I was uh, sexually molested when I was nine years old, ten years old, by a 16-year-old guy, multiple times. And it affected my life. It affected my relationship with my wife. It affected my military career. It affected the way I relate to other human beings. And I carried that for many, 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 many long years. And when I was 40 years old in 2000 and whatever it was, God released me of the shame of all of that. But then it wasn't until just a few years ago when I was at a teen camp. Like I said, three or four years ago, I was at a teen camp. And the speaker was speaking about carrying these types of things. He's talking to the kids. but And at the end of that whole session, he asked the kids to start praying. Well, I was praying at the same time. I was praying and asking the Lord. And I realized while I was praying, and I just... Woo, this is so cool. I was literally praying, God, I don't know where this man is today. I don't know if he's still alive today because he was older than me. But God, I ask that you would grab a hold of his heart, that you would bring healing to the brokenness that's there. I ask God that you would help him to get past his own shame, his own damage, to be able to submit to you and allow his life to be yours, that he could walk in integrity. And God, I ask, this is, mm, I ask God that when I get to glory, I get to shake his hand and hug him. And I realized as I was praying that prayer, there was no bad feelings at all. I was praying a blessing on him. I was blessing my enemy, the one who had persecuted me, who had caused me harm, who had destroyed my life. I was showing the marks of a true Christian. The challenge that we're in, and I'm closing now, the challenge that we're in, especially those of us who live between mile 10 and mile 26, 
is we, we are waiting for the 11th gotcha. There's been 10 already. And that waiting and anticipation causes anxiety and fear and anger and frustration. And the natural inclination of every human heart is to stand there with your fists in the air, cursing that human being who's causing you all of that harm or shooting them or burning them. Let them suffer like I have suffered. But that's cursing. That's not blessing. The mark of a true Christian is to endure the persecution. To rely on God's sustaining grace and to have an attitude of prayerful blessing on the one who is causing the harm. And I ask you, are you there? Because if you're not, you need to get on your face before God. And I'm not just talking about an arsonist. (laughs) I know people have hurt you. I know you've carried wounds. And if you call yourself a Christian, if you really are truly trying to honor God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, you need to let go of even the corner of the cloak that you cut off. You need to drop it. God, forgive me. Help me to walk in integrity and in love. And may your grace be my sustaining thing when it's beyond my ability. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so dependent on you. (laughs) We are so dependent on you. We need you desperately. We know that you hear us. We know that you provide for us. We know that your desire is for us to honor you with our life. And so God, right now, we just submit to you. We let it go. We let it go. We confess, we repent of any anger, hostility, frustration, um, mm, even cursing that we may have done. We let it go to you. We ask for your healing, for your forgiveness. And Father God, we ask that you help us to walk in true integrity in this community, being light, being salt, speaking truth, and demonstrating to this community how you respond to a gotcha. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.